I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Happy New Year! I hope you and your family enjoyed a blessed and restful holiday break. As we begin our podcast episodes for the year 2020 and the second half of the school year, we will shift focus somewhat in our exploration of the belonging theme. Having spent much of the first half of the year investigating identity formation, what it feels like to belong, and the values of a place to draw seekers to it, in this next phase of exploration, we will look outward. Parish's mission statement refers to the complex global society. How do we connect to the global community? What does belonging in the age of technology feel like? And what about the world of work? Are people finding a fit in their chosen field of endeavor or not? These are just a few of the questions I will explore with co-host Amari Hayes' help at times along the way as we progress through the remainder of the school year. In this month of January, though, we will start with a focus on the complex global society. My guest in this episode is Stefano Shinose, the Director of Strategic Innovation for the Andover Public School District just outside Boston. In his role, Stefano works to support teachers across 10 schools in this suburban district of 7,000 students in their effort to bring innovative programming and teaching to their students. Stefano visited Parrish in October to help us prepare for one of our exciting initiatives of the year, the three-month installation of the Shared Studios portal on our Midway campus. On January 7th, an object most resembling a gold shipping container will be positioned on the Midway campus near the front entrance. As the saying goes, there is no way you will miss it. From early January to late March, the immersive video technology inside this portal will transport members of our community to sites across the country and the world. Over 40 such portals are positioned worldwide and when one steps inside, he or she is connected in a fully immersive setting to fellow students or experts in a field or everyday citizens like you and me. Parish will be joining just a handful of schools nationwide and over school district included who are exploring the efficacy of the portal as a learning tool on their campuses. Stefano has led a three-year effort to fully integrate portals across the Andover district on an annual basis. He and I will explore in more depth what this portal thing is all about. Indeed, we are excited to see how it helps our students discover with more clarity where they and we belong in the global community beyond our campus gates. Enjoy this conversation with Stefano Chinosi from the Andover Public School System. Well, welcome to the From My Angle podcast and Happy New Year. Though this is being recorded before we all depart for the uh, Christmas holiday, this is the first of the 2020 podcasts. And I'm excited to have a relatively new friend of mine, Stefano Canosi from uh, Andover, Massachusetts, where he's braving at the moment a December snowstorm uh, <laughs> of some six to eight inches that's uh, befalling the area uh, to the From My Angle uh, podcast. So, Stefano, welcome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to. to- Kind of keep our conversations going. Absolutely, and and to preview uh, an exciting uh, attraction that is coming to Parish uh, during the months of January to March. By the time this drops uh, in the uh, first week in in January, you will begin to see the shared studio portal on our campus. And so we want to have a conversation about what this portal is, how Stefano and his team 
in Andover have, have used it. And really on the ongoing theme of our podcast, Stefano, I've been talking all year in the episodes here to four about belonging. And most of the first uh, half of the year's conversations have been about belonging inside of our community. And we've talked to uh, students and board members. We've talked to experts across the country on how one uh, defines his or her identity and finds places to fit and plug into. But as we pivot here into the, uh, into the new year, I'm going to really be shifting uh, the focus of our uh, conversations externally. And in this month in January in particular, uh, talking about Parish Abroad, our global education program, and the portal, really to have conversations about where we find belonging in what our mission statement calls the complex global society. So as some context setting for our listeners who've been with us uh, over the course of the fall, I wanted to offer that. But first, um, go ahead and introduce yourself to our, our, our listeners and uh, your present role and, and how, you found your, how you found yourself to, to your present spot uh, as Director of Innovation in the Andover uh, Public Schools up in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've been a teacher for 25 years. Um, I started teaching university and, and quickly kind of fell in love with it. I didn't think I would. So for me, teaching was this kind of serendipitous moment in my life as a young guy who said, wow, there's, I'm learning. Actually, it really came to the, to the, uh, the decision making for me was really how much more I was learning as a teacher. And I was always, you know, in college and grad school, I became a good learner. I didn't realize how much I could learn uh, as a teacher. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's an old quote, actually, from Andre Segovia, the, the classical guitarist. He said, uh, somebody asked him at 92 what he would remember about his life. And he said, you know, the thing I'm going to take away most is that to teach is to learn twice. And I heard that when I was 14 years old. And I would have never, ever guessed or put money on the fact that that quote would come back to guide most of my life. What did and, you start uh, teaching in college? What was your first subject? My lit, lit. My background is in, is actually in, in maybe uh, applicable to this conversation. I actually studied post-colonial literature and identity theory. Uh, my parents are both immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up kind of straddling those two worlds of kind of the immigrant household and then this full immersive, you know, experience as a, as a student in American public school systems. And, um, and so, yeah, it was a really, really interesting way to grow up, surrounded by a lot of different dynamic cultures as well in New York and New Jersey and Philadelphia. So yeah, so grad school made a lot of sense for me to kind of explore that topic of what, what are we, one, as Americans? What does that even mean? What does it mean to grow up in the United States when there's so much influence from the rest of the world here? And so, uh, yeah, so I started teaching lit, um, actually a post-colonial and an African-American lit course. Mm. And what I found was I was seeing parallels between these two you know, freedom and independence movements in Africa in the 80s or 60s, 70s and 1980s and very similar language that you'd find in African-American literature in the 20s, 30s and 40s um, and then on on. So, yeah, it was a really amazing thing for me to constantly kind of engage identity, culture, belonging, I think is a major factor there. So, yeah, so I taught English and lit for 25 years but I was always the teacher that was trying something, you know, I just was, I knew, I didn't actually, I didn't know there was a script. So <laughs> I didn't know there was one to follow. So I just turned to my kids and I said, how much fun can we have with Shakespeare? Let's figure it out. Or how much fun can we have with Sophocles or anything that was on the agenda? So always inventing, always creating. 
um, I realized that I was responsible to the kids more than I was to a curriculum Mm -hmm. or even a boss, unfortunately for my bosses, I guess, (laughs) and for me in many jobs. But um, yeah, so teaching became this real act of design that I didn't know about then. I didn't have that language, but it was really about looking to meet my kids, understand them, and then finding all of the things I could get my hands on to help them make the connect the dots. And when did you make the pivot to administration? So about seven or eight years ago, um, I was had, still had my feet in the classroom, but my inventions, as it were, my little creations were growing way beyond me. We, we kind of had a national and international impact on some of the projects I invented. And so those, I found myself in, you know, in Chicago and Ohio and California, and then it was Beijing and, and uh, Europe and, and so um, Egypt. And suddenly people were really interested in how we got results, the way we got results. And it was a very much a creative act in design. And, um, and suddenly it was, uh, I would open up my studio in my high school and I would just allow basically anyone who wanted to come and hang out with us and learn and share. And, um, and that just kind of kept growing and growing. And finally my principal said, yeah, this is bigger than both of us. You know, like what, what do we do next? And we just started really getting thoughtful about what does it mean to grow? What does it mean to push practice? And, uh, Andover happened to be, uh, you know, a good friend in our learning community or Boston Metro, which is a really powerful group of folks here in, in Boston that really love collaboration. So they, uh, they, they essentially invented the position for director of strategic innovation uh, based on some of the stuff I was doing and a lot of the things they thought. They were a very highly successful school. They also believed that the old methods weren't necessarily going to carry them forward, whatever success looked like in the future. So uh, they thought they needed some, some attention paid and some investments around, you know, what does, what does it look like to change practice? What does it look like to create new mindsets around learning and teaching. So tell us a little bit about Andover. I, I remember you telling me, I think there are 12 schools in the, in yeah, the about, well, 10, yeah, 10 schools, give us, eight, yeah, give us pre, a, give us pre-K a 12. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have our, our preschool, the Shawshian school and then Andover high school, which has 2000 students in it. So we're just almost 7,000 students total, a suburb of Boston and lots of ways, kind of traditional suburban town in that way. Um, you know, we're on the train line to Boston, so we're really connected to the city. Um, what's brilliant about Andover and also where we are, we're in this region called the Merrimack Valley, which is the Merrimack River, basically goes from the, the mountains of New Hampshire out to the coast of Massachusetts. And we're kind of right at the last end of it. And, um, but in, it's the Industrial Revolution Belt, Lowell, Averill, Lawrence. So all of those textile mills that, that helped shape America in lots of ways are really, that's it, the Merrimack Valley. So always a hub for international. Uh, first, it was all the labor forces that came from, you know, every country. Um, and now we have a different kind of labor, you know, in the Merrimack Valley, especially specifically to Andover, <coughs> about nine or 10 giant global corporations uh, housed here. So our families are coming from all over the world mm-hmm. um, as engineers and researchers and um data scientists and fabricators and machinists. And it's really an amazing, we have 47 languages spoken in our schools. Um, And our move to global was really just a celebration and an acknowledgement of our community that 
you know, we have so much to learn from this kind of modern iteration of immigration in the United States um, that, you know, our best bet, knowing that we're all moving into a very globalized society, um, it's, we've felt that it was the most important thing we could do for our kids, prepare them. Yeah, and it's a, as we talked about in, in our past conversations, 7,000 students in a district like that is about the perfect size for innovation. You know, for freed and unencumbered from the bureaucracy yes. of a much yes. larger system, yes. but big enough at some scale to uh, really move the needle on some interesting programs. And ultimately, yeah. that's how you and I got connected through the uh, Shared Studios uh, portal, which Andover has uh, really been a, a national leader in one of the first uh, school and school districts to bring the portal to uh, their campus as Parrish will do from January to March and a bit of a beta here in the Dallas market. And uh, you and I have the uh, uh, an enviable task in a uh, recorded podcast to try to describe <laughs> what the portal what the yes. portal is. So, I mean, in the simplest terms, if you were to describe to a listener kind of physical appearance and the technology infrastructure of it and its purpose, uh, how, how would you... How would you describe the, the portal? The portal is a big, giant, full room video conference, you know, um, on the surface, right? I mean, what what's neat about the portal in its design is that all the portals are gold on the outside. So some are big, giant gold steel boxes. Some are giant inflatable gold boxes. Um, some are golden doors that lead to a portal room. Um, and that's, that gold is really important. Um, and inside, you know, one of the walls of this giant box are, is a full room size video screen. So, you know, seven by nine, seven by 10. It's a huge space that really captures communication at its human communication at its finest and fullest. Um, all of the, the subtle movements we make and the little, the ways our eyes follow each other when we talk and so it's, yeah, it's a big giant video conference that, uh, that has this power to really harness technology and simultaneously put technology to the side and focus on the humans. Yeah. Um, whereas so often tech communication is beholden to the technology. What I think Shared Studios did brilliantly was harness technology to make sure that the human communication was the, the priority and the, the first the first experience. Yeah, so make no mistake about it. When you drive onto the parish campus, you will see a gold shipping container. I mean, in its essence, that's what it's going to look like. One of the yeah. portable cubes that you see in front of homes that are being, you know, remodeled or moved, uh, it is going to look like that. So to your point, a, a very simple optic with a very nuanced and rich experience within it. And really the differentiator between like what you and I are doing now on Zoom right, with, uh, as opposed to what one gets when they walk into the portal, is this immersiveness, right? The, yeah. the darkening of the inner uh, sanctum of that portal, the yep. largeness of the screen. Uh, so your interface with whomever you're uh, connecting with uh, globally or domestically uh, uh, feels uh, even more realistic and immersive. Yes. Given yeah, the like even now doing this as we are, you know, we see our laptops, we see our screens, we see all the, all the, it's still a computer I'm talking to, um, despite the technology, whereas all of that disappears in the portal. And it really is you. And it's, after a few minutes, you kind of forget that it's a two-dimensional screen. It really is immersive. And that, that dark space, that the black walls on the inside or the gray walls, really, 
equalizes everyone in the portal so that if I were to show my classrooms and I have computers and bookshelves full of resources and we're connecting to a place where that's a, that's a real, real luxury um, and hard to get resources, by all stepping into the portal, into this kind of shared space, we're all equal in it, no matter what our resources are or aren't. Um, we're able to enter that portal as equal humans and, and have conversation from that place, which so is not, really powerful. And yet, so not to digress too far into the origin story of the portal with shared studios, but suffice to say, this was not developed as an educational tool for schools and universities to use. Uh, it was really used to create global connection in public venues. So in Dallas, over the last year, it has been in Clyde Warren Park and most recently in North Park Mall. Uh, I got exposure to it thanks to Alex Sharma, a board member of, of, of ours, who said, hey, check this out. It's down in Clyde Warren. And I took some faculty members down to see it before we even understood that it had been placed on um, school campuses. And then I got intrigued about how could it impact a school like ours that talks about in its mission statement preparing students for the complex global society and, and how could we help our kids begin to think about where they fit in that world and that's how ultimately we got connected to you but if you were to unpack in a short summary really what shared studios origin story of the portal was uh, and you do this well how, how would you describe how would you describe its origin story yeah it's it's actually one that continues to inspire me i mean it really is driven by a, a real need and a, and a want to have humans connect and, and have humans communicate, um, and especially strangers, really. I mean, people that you would not necessarily seek out or know that they're in your affinity group or, I mean, this is truly tapping into the beauty of and the wonder of the world. So yeah, so the founders, Amar and Michelle, were, were kind of journalists and producers and uh, came back basically from traveling the world and telling stories all over. And they said, wow, the best stories we ever told were when strangers met. And, uh, and if you've traveled, you know that feeling when somebody approaches you and says, hey, where are you from? And you're an obvious traveler or an obvious stranger to the land and, and what that means to be welcomed in. And so their, uh, their approach was to build this one-time event. Uh, they found an artist in Tehran uh, and then they built the, the first gold shipping container portal in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was successful. They had folks in Tehran stepping into a portal to talk with folks in D.C. And, uh, and the, what I love about the origin story is that two young college kids in Herat, Afghanistan, heard the story on the BBC from Tehran and started building a portal. Like, they could not get any more organic and more beautiful uh, and they said, and this was Omid and, and Khaled, uh, both curators of portals now and uh, creators of portals. And uh, they just started building. And that really kickstarted what Shared Studios was, was able to become. And, uh, and it has been driven by local communities with this desire, as you, as you felt and I felt. Um, this, this is a beautiful thing. And it's also a powerful tool that really was unimagined. Um, we knew about video conferencing, but how could we find 47 locations to engage with? Right. Um, that's the beauty of this thing. And they're driven by people who um, are really just want to have conversations uh, with the world. Yeah. So this is a less than five-year-old initiative. And, yep. and as you guys have had it for, I guess, three, uh, three yeah, years. Yeah, this is our third year with the portal. Year, right. But 
you know, you reference these 47 portals and we're not, you can look on the shared studio website and see where they all are. But the, um, the, the interesting element of them is where they are placed yes. in refugee centers in Erbil and you reference yeah. Afghanistan. There's one in Andover, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. right? So like if, if you were to, to give just an overview of some of the, some of the sites, perhaps the ones that you all connect most frequently with, uh, in Andover with your students, just give a little flavor for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, located. It continues to grow. It's been amazing. Even in the three years we've had it and have been participating, the growth is. It's. I mean, it's probably close to triple the the amount of growth. And and what's wonderful about a portal is some portals are lasting and they're really they're they're the kind of core like Herat and Gaza and Palestine or Erbil, Mexico City. Um, these are wonderful kind of really permanent places and installations, as is Milwaukee and uh, Colorado Springs. And so there's a lot of domestic portals to connect with. But I think the, the portals that even show up for a few months add so much value to this big conversation. So from Afghanistan and Melbourne, Australia, to Cox's Bagar, Bangladesh, um, there's four or five in Africa now across from Nigeria to Kenya to Uganda to Kigali, Rwanda. Um, the Middle East, Doha, Qatar, um, Stockholm, Sweden was online forever and is, and will come back. So, and then and in the are, Americas, you know, from Bolivia to Honduras, Puerto Rico, to Mexico City, Chicago, Milwaukee, Dallas. Um, it's, it's such a diversity. And a lot of those more kind of like the refugee camps in Erbil or, or uh, Uganda and Cox's Bazaar, you would have to have UN clearance to have a conversation with Rami. Right. That's really the point, right? You've got some that are in public squares on street, essentially street corners, Times Square in New York. Museums. Yeah. Museums. Uh, But yes, refugee centers, uh, Cox's Bazaar, Bangladesh, right? Uh, You know, so it's, it is a very rich variety of, of locations. And essentially, the, the portal, again, not to get too into the weeds on how it operates, you've referenced this concept of a curator, but essentially the, pure, the, the, the portal has a local uh, set of individuals who essentially um, um, accepted the opportunity uh, to, to curate content in these portals, to open them up for a couple of hours today, a day, to connect with other such curators at these other portals through a, a backroom technology uh, system that, that connects uh, us uh, to have, in some instances, uh, more formal setups, like we're going to share a meal together and you'll have mm-hmm. half the meal on your side and another half on the other side from the, from the point of connection, or to just be open to whomever happens to pass by the portal and get curious and stick their head in and, and want to see who's on the other side. So. Um, these curators are important, and a portal stays open uh, generally for a couple of hours a day uh, or, you know, two openings of a couple of hours in the morning or the afternoon. It tends to vary, but the, the portal doesn't stay open 24-7. It's it's not a, you know, it, it's not yeah. a long house, right? Yeah, everything is fairly scheduled in a good yeah. way. Um, it's a lot of moving parts across the world. Um, those curators are probably the most important part of the exchange. There are other educational video platforms that are wonderful. Um, But what you don't have with that is a portal partner that will prepare, gather guests, um, facilitate your own students. Like when I I know now, and I bring students into the portal, um, I know that Rami will be my partner, not only during the connection, but 
preceding and post. Um, I know uh, Mira in Gaza will help me create a great experience. And she has access to incredible guests with different perspectives. That's what I think sets Shared Studios Portal apart as an opportunity to connect our kids to the world. Yeah, and so, I mean, we'll transition now to, I think, the point uh, as two educators that was of interest to us. And, and uh, Andover, I'm sure you found this in your role as, a, as, a, as, a, as you mentioned up at the top of the podcast, as a disruptor, as a person who was looking to, to uh, really uh, engage students authentically and, and organically in learning processes that weren't uh, curated or standardized or adult, uh, you know, sort of adult imposed. I'm, I'm sure that's how you bumped into the portal. But let's really talk about it in the, in, in the classroom itself. So, what makes the portal, from your vantage point, an excellent classroom resource vis-a-vis -vis comparable technology or global type experiences? I think it comes down to um, a connected partner that, you know, what's radical, what I think, there's two radical parts to the portal as an educational resource. One is opening up your curriculum, your classroom, back to a conversation, right? And, and I was just reading recently about, uh, in Finland, they call it phenomenon learning, that when you engage kids in some kind of hands-on phenomenon happens when the actual act inspires new questions. And so I was really intrigued by that, that phrase, phenomenon learning, and I think the portal provides that yeah. because the humans themselves, so that really tapping back into that that old Socratic method of asking each other questions to find a bigger and deeper understanding of something is so profound. It's also quite scary and radical and very difficult. I think when when we own our classrooms, we work really hard to uh, manage all of the all of the emergent phenomenon, but um, that's something you have to let go of in a lot of ways as an instructor to turn over your classroom to to other perspectives, um, and to also ask your kids to articulate in new ways to strangers um, what's happening for them in their learning. That one, I think, is profound. It's actually the design challenge I've spent the last year trying to figure out. Um, how do we bring conversation back to learning in that phenomenon, emergent way? Um, and then the other part, I think, is, is the, di the diversity we have in the network. I mean, that, I don't, I don't know of anything like this. Mm -hmm. You know, I could spend the next 20 years trying to find it or recreate it, but the shared studios network, I'm actually excited that it isn't just a bunch of schools connecting, right? That's really hard to manage, actually, in all honesty. Um, two groups of 14-year-olds or six-year-olds from very different places on the planet. Um, I love the fact that there are curators like Ciela in Mexico who will really question and, and, and the right questions to ask my 15-year-old high school kids or my 11-year-old fifth graders. Um, I love that the fact that we have curators in the network that help us create better experiences. For example, like we, you know, we, we're, we're the school up here now that um, have been teaching Rwanda and, and, and the, the genocide and all of the history for probably 10 years or more, um, or at least since the, the genocide. And um, come to find out after one day in the portal with Kigali and Elwa and Jay and, and the team there that they really had to redesign their curriculum. That, you know, they, had no, they didn't really understand 
what had happened or they knew it from a historical perspective. It was accurate, but it was so lacking all of the nuance of real engagement in the portal. Only through the portal could you get there. Yeah, I think we have probably in what are we phrased reimagined parish here. Uh, you know, we have four probably drivers for where we see engaged learning emanating from. Uh, one, we want our learning to have our learners move as they're ready. So, so mm. uh, that you're trying to challenge at the right at the right spot at the right time from a, a, a mastery level. Second, we wanted to build enduring habits of mind, like the things yep. that persist beyond content consumption. But the two that I think are really most relevant to the portal are this idea of voice and choice this notion of students having uh, a, an ability to shape what they learn and an ability to shape how they demonstrate knowledge. And the fourth one is we want learning to be meaningful and authentic. And I yeah. think the portal really hits on those two things, right? So, yes. you know, for example, our students in the Academy of Global Studies, as you have a, a similar type global studies program, who are each, all 40 plus of them studying a unique global issue are gonna have an ability to go into the portal, pick which portal is most relevant to their issue Yep. help identify the people on the other side of the globe or domestically who can inform their conversation and shape their learning experience there. And that learning experience is going to be very meaningful and authentic, very sticky uh, because it's not prescribed by a textbook. It's not something yeah. the other students in their classroom are doing. Uh, it's very unique to them. And so I think you and I both subscribe, as you described again, from your own journey as a teacher, that this notion of engaged learning, sticky learning, right? Um, has to look a lot less uh, structured and standardized than the typical school experience. And I just think the portal helps to deliver that. Yeah, there's a mastery that, I mean, maybe mastery is a big word, but there's a confidence that comes with articulating a perspective through an interview that you had with Rami, who's a college student in an in a IDP camp, or displaced persons camp, run by the UN, in Erbil, Iraq, like, if you're writing with that behind you, it's not regurgitated from a secondary source. It's an original data set that that to me is mastery. That's gaining mastery at a level that most students do not have access to um, or are even challenged to say, find a different perspective, you know, and, and generate those questions because writing good interview questions is harder than taking the quiz. So you've already referenced a couple of the ways that Andover's used it, but if you had a lower school or elementary school in your parlance, middle school and high school example of how you've seen learning really come alive in the portal. And mind you, you can't put a class of 20 into the portal. You know, yep. it's six to seven learners. I think you've said in the, you know, a kindergarten or first grade group, you can, you can get more. Yeah, you can do a big yeah. per square foot, but you know, so what are some of the creative ways at a lower middle and high school level, you've uh, just one example each that you've seen the, the portal deploy to create a really rich learning experience? I, I think, you know, it really goes back to what you said, you know, the theme for parish too, like um, this sense of belonging, mm. um, what I discovered, what I learned, I think, and it, and it transcended all the grades I saw, and I saw it in, in other cities outside of Andover, when we would take our portal to Boston, downtown Boston, in the city, um, some of our other urban and suburban schools, districts. This idea of celebrating uh, maybe even a hidden identity. A lot of our kids that, that have these kind of immigrant stories, um, sometimes it's easier to just hide it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this emergent uh, celebration of identity um, was a powerful, powerful 
feedback loop for us to observe for our own kids. There were stories that emerged after a kid, um, you know, one great example is, um, you know, we had a, a young student who had recently arrived, spoke Arabic, um, and was really struggling in the ELL uh, courses. Mm-hmm. And we spent a little time with Rami uh, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, I think, not only did it transform the student, you know, the Kuwaiti students experience, I think it, it opened up the eyes of our other students who were then kind of bearing witness to this exchange. Yep. Um, and it was a powerful moment, I think, where um, all of the kids benefited from this kind of acknowledgement and celebration of difference. Yep. Um, and and that, it, that, that, yeah, and so that one's a little less curricularly structured. So that's more yes. of an open conversation. How yeah. about somewhere, you know, math teacher or an English teacher or a social studies teacher took a middle school or high school group in uh, so that, and even your arts teachers as our arts and music teachers will do, yeah. you know, just so our, just so we can uh, make a, in a little more concrete terms, how yeah. we're wondering like, what the heck are teachers going to do in the ship, in the shipping crate? Like what's happening yes. there? Like give a couple rich examples from your, from your end. Yeah. So one, the one that we we've done the most work on has been in, in kind of literacy actually. Um, I have tons of examples in social studies and languages and even science and robotics, but our literacy one was something that we stumbled upon in our fifth grade. Our students were reading the book wonder and uh, it's a classic movie now. And and the teacher in that book has these precepts, right? Proverbs. And, um, and so we were talking about what that meant, like these idiomatic expressions and how that helps with literacy when you understand them both culturally and then, how we can play with language in new ways. So we started talking about those and uh, we got this idea that what if we created kind of a a book of precepts from the portal? And so our students were then tasked with interviewing our portal partners around the world. And I think we had maybe four or five different sites, Latin America, Mexico, or South America, Mexico, uh, one in Nigeria, Herat, Afghanistan, and Stockholm. And so the idea was to try and ask about those proverbs that our families carry down and you heard at holiday functions or whatever. And what do they tell us about our culture? Um, How do they fit into like a values expression, right? So in the book, Wonder, the, the precepts that the teacher presents and asks the kids to discover or call upon for themselves is really a set of values and how they're going to lead their lives. So this was a or ELA, ELA content standard for us in Massachusetts. And so, um, yeah, so the kids were able to, we were reading the book, we were sharing stories, the proverbs, we were gathering them from interviews with the kids' families. Then we were interviewing our portal partners. We were gathering them. We were doing a little, we tried to integrate a little geography. So we would have a push pin map of where stories and precepts were coming from. Then we found a few that we wanted to overlap. And we said, are there any ones that get at the same meaning, right, the same values? So there was one, something about, uh, it was from Herat, Afghanistan, and it had to do with, um, if you don't, uh, if you don't take care of the, if you don't appreciate the apple, you won't understand the orchard. Um, and one of the kids said, oh, is that like forest for the trees, right? 
And I said, whoa, I think so. So then the kids had to investigate these expressions and then kind of unpack them a little bit. And then what we decided to do was we had the kids create what we call postcards from the portal. So on, they had to find an image of something that was in that location. So in, the, in Herat, it was the Blue Mosque, which is one of the original blue. It's a UNESCO site um, that hasn't been destroyed uh, in all the wars and stuff. But the Blue Mosque, beautiful architecture and history. So they had that on the side. Then they had to compare in the two columns of the postcard, the original saying from Afghanistan, our version and their analysis. So it was, a, it was just a wonderful ELA activity that tied in both kind of our own learning standards in, in English language arts, and then also this real original data set. And then the kids had to create products which I think is always a, a great way to demonstrate that understanding. Which can then also be shared within the portal with guests on the other side. So that's right. you can ask the curator to find you uh, um, a professor from a, a location, to find you a classroom of students, to find you a nurse or a doctor to interview. You know, the, Once you plug in with the curator, essentially the sky's the limit to a creative um, set of teachers, faculty members as to, or students for that matter, as as to how uh, a connection can be uh, shaped to yes. inform the learning experience on the receiving side. So um, you came down to Parish in October, which we were appreciative of to spend time mm -hmm. a day basically working with faculty members here and uh, led by Dr. Leanne Jones, our um, director of libraries. Uh, several of the librarians have really taken the lead for us in partnering yeah. with our teachers to begin to set up the schedule of our own portal use beginning January 8th after the portal's installed on the 6th and we all get trained up on its operation on the 7th and we've got the first uh, couple of weeks you know already uh, planned for collections of uh, younger students uh, third and fourth grade musicians to play music nice. uh, with musicians from other parts of the globe for individuals from our Academy of Global Studies to go in and connect on their issue globally we have an upper school Latin class uh, that is going to connect with a archaeologist in Baltimore who studies classical hairstyles of all things, right? <laughs> right? So we've already got some very creative applications. And then, you know, we, we hope over the time that it's with us from January to March that we also serve as a hub to yeah. other um, school and temple, synagogue, corporations, community groups that want to come to campus and yeah. really see how the portal uh, works uh, here. So, uh, I, I'd say now there's, uh, what, half a dozen or so schools across the country that have piloted the, the use of the portal or brought it to its campus. Yeah, so yeah. It's been, right it, in the from my understanding. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's been so, wonderful. Yeah, we've, I, we've seen so much growth in that area. I think Shared Studios made a real concerted effort to uh, support schools and, and, and figure out ways to kind of tap into this, this kind of real intellectual energy yeah. around man, this isn't just video conferencing. It's yeah. not just video lessons, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very different uh, kind of mission-driven approach to education. Yeah, so, so it, it, it fits, I think, with certain school identities like ours and yours that, that uh, flavor themselves or favor themselves as, as innovators or a little bit bleeding edge to try, to try technology. And clearly from our work with Shared Studios, uh, all due respect to what they're doing, and, and I think they would acknowledge it too. Like, we're all riding along this fairly bumpy road together, yes. right? So even the yes. systems that are being developed and fleshed out by Shared Studios to service this growing um, platform of, uh, of different um, uh, portals across the network, you know, it's got some complications. And so I, I'm very yeah. thankful to my team, led by Leanne, for 
for their patients trying to, uh, to learn the system and, and uh, connect with uh, shared studios and get ourselves ready to go. And our, our premise is let's bring it here for three months. It comes with a cost and it, and it, you know, it's, it's not a free technology. Uh, and, and so we want to assess its, um, its, uh, its effectiveness and how it resonates in our community uh, yeah. and, and how it works on an independent school campus. And so that's really our, it's a point of curiosity that we're going to, uh, to try to, to, you know, to try to explore and, and, uh, and see where we end up at the end of March. You all have made the decision to uh, essentially have the technology ever present um, to serve the 10 schools or so in your, in your district. So you have it there and it gets distributed because yours is portable. It gets distributed. To yeah, we get it around. But I think it, what's interesting about what you were saying earlier, I think, is really important too. I think there was a, a really neat way to go about this. Is that, you know, I think they could have shared studios could have holed up and invented better systems or more systems in isolation versus yeah. I think this approach, which was let's get it out, let's really be honest, and let's also um, learn from each other yeah. through this. I think a better product or a better process will emerge because school leaders like you, school leaders like Amy in Philadelphia and in Baltimore and, yep. and Lewis in Milwaukee have really taken steps to say, let's try it. We're going to learn. We're going to share everything we've learned. And uh, from this, something really, I think, amazing is going to come out of it. Yeah, we're excited to be at that front edge of it with you all and, and from the, you know, just to, to build a network of really creative educators across the, the, the country is a great is a great benefit to us. I mean, in closing, I mean, how do I mean, is this is this the future or is this a fad? Like how how are you reading this type of immersive uh, technology enabled uh, learning experience? I think I think it is the future. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the future, not because of anything we're doing per se. I think the kids coming up behind us are already connected uh, to the world in ways I, we don't really know or really understand. Um, so I think things like this are going to make it even more real, more managed, more authentic. Um, I think what you don't get when you have friends, you know, in London because you follow the same band on Instagram um, or you bumped into some, you know, shared affinity group on Facebook, all wonderful ways that I think are just emerging and growing. There's no shortage of that. I think what, what a shared studios network does is kind of enable really deep conversations um, that move beyond the shared uh, affinities or the things you like, Oh, we like this band or we like this music or, um, this gets at something much bigger. So I think it is the future. I think we're going to walk into coffee shops and there'll be a wall at a coffee shop in London, right? And I think we're going to have that level of exchange happening. Um, and, you know, global economies demand it. Um, businesses, there's, it's hard to find even small local businesses that don't have global suppliers or global, you know, uh, customers. And I think... The fad part, I think, you know, if we don't move beyond um, just the video experience, I think, you know, we need to work on things like what we call the World Ready Lab, where teams of, of students and teachers will gather around real problems like water or access to education. Or um, I think that's where this, this platform with that process built in, that educational process, 
that's where it will never become fad because it will be how we learn together. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the portal in and of itself may be a, you know, 1.0 version of what the future holds. But when you look at VR and AR, which are different technologies than this, or uh, an immersive type technology like this, where I think, uh, you know, uh, corporate boardroom meeting rooms are going to look like this, you know, many do, or I'm sure already begun to explore that. What, what What I'm suggesting that is, What's not fad is probably this notion of boundary boundaryless learning, mm, right? This notion yeah. of go into the English classroom and there I sit for you know x number of minutes and then I come out and I learn English there. You know I think schools are really going to be pushed in the next generation um, to think about how learning um, becomes a lot more permeable um, through classroom walls and and off and off and off classroom campuses enabled by tools yes. like the like the portal and you know it's already pushing us because most of these portal sites are not on central u.s (laughs) and so even in trying to figure out like how our learners at nine o'clock can connect with a portal in uh, afghanistan right there's already limitations there on the way we prescribe how our school day works right and so we're going to have to explore like what are our points of flexibility there with these types of technologies around how we presently constitute when learning occurs, like between <laughs> eight o'clock and 3.30, right? So yeah. it's already asking us to question, um, you know, is it is it important? And if it is, how are we gonna make it work? You know, That's and right. so I, I don't think it's a fad. I, I just think it's 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 very much hinting at um, the, the opportunities and challenges inherent in the future of educating our kids for a complex global society. That's yeah. how, that's no, well said. Well said. It it will push you in the in the best ways. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're looking forward once uh once we get it up here to connecting with with you again if uh in, yeah. in, in the portal with your community. So I, I'm sure wait. We'll, we'll speak again. But in the meantime, thanks for uh you, you know uh, warm, warming yourselves by the by the light of the computer amidst that <laughs> yeah. up there and spending some time yeah. with me today on the Pro My Angle podcast. It's been great to catch yeah. up. No, thank you, Dave. You're doing incredible work, so it's excited to be a partner with you. Thanks. We'll talk soon. All right. Be well. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode of the podcast, I'll be joined by students and faculty who have participated in our Parish Abroad Global Travel Program. Together with co-host Amari Hayes, I will explore with these individuals how experiences globally have helped shape their sense of connectedness and belonging beyond the gates of Parish. Until the next time, thanks for joining me on From My Angle.